Hey Mason, did you know that on July 1st, Yahoo Domain Renewal Pricing increased to $34.95 per year? $34.95 per year? No way! Ridiculous! That's not a deal at all! You're right, it's not, and I do need a deal. You need a deal? I got the deal you need, Andy! Check this out! Transfer your domain to GoDaddy for as little as $6.99 and get a free one-year extension plus guaranteed renewal pricing. GoDaddy.com makes transferring easy and offers loads of extras including hosting, a five-page site builder, and much more. Oh yeah! Plus, as a listener of MuggleCast, enter code MUGGLE, that's M-U-G-G-L-E, when you check out and save an additional 10% on any order. Some restrictions do apply. I want you to see the site for the details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment. What are you listening to after today's episode? How about a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up? Log on to www.audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast today for details. This is Professor McGonagall welcoming you to all to MuggleCast. Hoping you enjoyed. Dobby, Dobby, come here. Yeah, Dobby. Yes, well, I'd just like to say how very pleased I am to introduce MuggleCast to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Because we're talking politics Potter style, this is MuggleCast episode 162 for November 5th, 2008. Okay, this is our third show released in just eight days. We're really pumping them out right now because first we had the um, Halloween show. Oh, no, no. First we had the live show, the live uh, trailer discussion show. And then we had our Halloween show. And now we're having our election show. All these themed podcasts that uh, have to be out at a certain time, you know, while everyone's still into it. So, um, Mike and Lisa are here. Hello, ladies. Hey. Here too. Ladies. Hey. Why am I why am I separate? Ladies. Because you're not a lady. What? I was gonna congratulate you on the Phillies winning the World Series too, and then you called me a lady. <laughs> I'm not a baseball fan. You, you I just support my home team. Yeah, but no, you're a Phillies fan. My mom texted me today. She's like, I'm gonna send you a Philly shirt. I was like, Oh great, but I'm thinking like why? I'm I'm not a baseball fan. I don't know. Whatever. It's I'll a, wear it to the It's gym. a free shirt, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um <laughs> Um, so we have this great show. We just finished recording the discussion because Laura was involved in it too, but unfortunately she didn't have as much time to be on the show. Um, but that's okay. So we have this awesome political discussion uh, related to Potter politics and a whole lot more. So let's get started. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Micah Tannebel. I'm Matthew Britton. And I'm Elisa Montfort.
Okay, Micah, what is in the news this week? Um, um, what? Uh, you don't know? <laughs> Aren't you prepared? Not am I prepared? Sorry, I'm, I'm tired. We just uh, discussed. Yeah, wow. Anyway, anyway, try that again. I'm sorry. Uh, well, here, let, let's start with it. While you're preparing, I'll start with uh, this because this, this is my story. Um, on last week's episode, uh, well, actually, it was episode 160. Uh, I was specu- speculating a lot about whether or not WB would be asking for the trailer to be removed. And this isn't really news because it wasn't removed, but the trailer wasn't removed, um, which was kind of surprising because I heard that WB was considering it, and uh, it looks like it never happens. So, just uh, I just like to admit that I was wrong, and I do make mistakes. So hmm. I was surprised yeah. about that too, though. But I think, well, thank you, Lisa. I think that it it just got spread all over the internet so quickly that yeah it would have been impossible for them to take it down. Yeah, I think the internet is so fast that once it spreads, and it did happen over the weekend, like you mentioned, and clearly people are not working at WB as hard as we thought on the weekends, uh, because if they were, they would have been taken down. Uh, Well, I was right about that. You were right about that, yeah. (laughs) I was wrong about that. I thought that they would have had somebody who would have been on this. Because you think when something like this would happen – they would be alerted to the problem, regardless of whether they're working or not. You know, even if you're at home on the weekends, all these people have Blackberries. So they would know what was going on. Well, yeah, but they're not checking them as frequently because it's the weekends, and you know they have their uh, their have their personal phones I guess, with them when they're I guess. out and about. Uh, it was just it was interesting though to me that that Monday morning rolled around and now all of a sudden they're aware of it, but they really couldn't do anything about it. So yeah, mm-hmm. in the future, well, there's this. If you're going to leak trailers, do it on the weekend. Well, that's exactly what I was saying. Also, these pictures that come out, um, every it, there was a time back in May and June where a new Half-Blood Prince picture came out every Friday. And it seemed very strange. But when you think about it, it was every Friday because then uh, WB, you know, that's essentially the weekend, even though they do work on Fridays. But WB, you know, they can't put uh, put it together to say, hey, check this down before they clock out. For the weekend, so mm-hmm. it was kind of interesting to watch and exciting. I know I was up kind of early to check my email to see if there was like, please remove immediately. Well, what was funny was uh, I did think that we had gotten something because uh, I checked my email that morning and I saw something. And I'm like, wait, it's from Scholastic, not from Warner Brothers. So, well, that yeah, it threw that, me that's off. What a happens bit. though? Whenever there's a big movie thing, or vice versa. Say whenever there's a big movie thing, the book people come out with some announcement. Whenever there's a big book thing, the movie people come out with some announcement to just like remind them that they're you know still alive and while the fan sites are active. Well, I was nervous because you told me you said make sure you check your email tomorrow morning because obviously we have that time difference, you know, three hour difference. So if anything did come along, you wanted me to get something up there as fast as possible or or take down the trailer. And uh, you know, I was just sitting there all morning, and then all of a sudden I saw this email from. The guy over at Scholastic, I forget his name, but and then I thought that it was from Warner Brothers, but so I got played. I got well. Pumped. It is, <laughs> it is still online, and uh, as the saying goes, once it's on the internet, it's never off. It never leaves because you know people save these things to their computers and forget about Who it. Who does digital, that? Digital baby, digital. I, I did anyone else save a copy? No, I saved a copy in case they were going to take it down. Elisa, what were your thoughts on the trailer? Um, you weren't on the show, so uh, what do you think of it? No, I wasn't. I thought it was incredible. 
I loved it. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> it exceeded my expectations for sure. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 35,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere, just like MuggleCast. Log on to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast to get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Again, go to audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast for your free audiobook. Well, uh, something that happened this week was Robbie Coltrane, who plays Hagrid, did an interview, and he discussed a little bit about Deathly Hollows and uh, his, I guess you would say, motorbike scene. And uh, But th- that's not really what I wanted to focus on. I'm wondering now, with Half-Blood Prince not coming out until July and filming starting to take place for Deathly Hollows, are we going to see a lot more of Deathly Hollow's hype overtaking Half-Blood Prince? And is this maybe something that Warner Brothers didn't think about before they decided to move the date? Because I guess it wouldn't make as much of a difference if we were somewhere in the middle with all these films. But we're talking about the final film in the Harry Potter series, starting to film in February. Is this going to be a problem for Half-Blood Prince? I don't really think so because, I mean, when filming starts, typically you don't see much. I mean, there's going to be the occasional interview where they're like, yeah, we just started filming. It's going great. It's going to be the darkest one ever. Sex, drugs, and Harry Potter. (laughs) 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 But I don't think – I don't think there's going to be too much of a mix. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at Half-Blood Prince background information. They started filming September 2007, Um, and, of course, that was right after the final book came out. And uh, so, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think there's going to be a lot of mixing, though. I think it's a good point, though. Yeah, that was the one thing that came to mind. I mean, there there really isn't a whole lot uh, to the interview. He actually did two interviews, but there that was really what came to mind when I was looking. I was thinking to myself, hey, is this going to have any impact for Half-Blood Prince? Uh, but somebody else who also did an interview this week was David Heyman with ComingSoon.net. Um, and he uh, talked about Half-Blood Prince. He said, the film is complete except for a little tweak that they think that they're going to have to make. So interesting to maybe learn down the line what that tweak is going to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he also noted that um, it's going to be a little inconvenient to stop filming for a week when they have to go do press for Half-Blood Prince. Well, he could complain and to he... Warner Brothers then. Yeah. He only said a week, though, which kind of surprised me because the pr- – the premieres themselves are usually two weeks apart. Um, and, you know, between around both of those premieres, doing interviews and such, although I guess the UK premiere isn't hard to get to. I mean, it's an hour drive down from Leavesden Studios. So I don't know. That that was – he does seem – when you read this interview, don't you get a little feeling of frustration from him? Well, didn't he do an interview um, before this, though, where he talked about uh, the, the film being pushed back and he said that – uh, he didn't really see a problem with it. I, I forget the exact. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quote. He said, "I mean, he he reiterated what he said in this interview too, which is that um, you know, WB is so good to us that we can't complain. You don't bite the hand that feeds you, right? Yeah. Well, maybe it's because for a lot of these people that are involved in in the movie, I would think that their schedules are dependent upon you know, all these releases and." and events that they have to go to once the film is finally complete. 
And so if you're planning everything for November and then all of a sudden you get thrown into the middle of July, I mean, they'll be working on Deathly Hollows, but who knows what else he could have been working on at the time also or will be working on at the time because I'm sure he doesn't stick solely to one film. Um, right. Maybe that's what he's frustrated about. Um, but he's always seemed to identify more with the fans too, if you think about it, even from the interview that you guys did with him. Um, I think it was in Goblet of, for Goblet of Fire. He always seems uh, to identify with the fans, so maybe he's just as upset about it getting pushed back. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't, be fu- wouldn't it be funny if like the Dark Knight DVD did so well? Because like, they're in a new fiscal year now, at least in the U.S. they are. Wouldn't it be funny if the Dark Knight DVD did so well for this fiscal year that they're like, oh, you know what? Yeah, uh, we're set for uh, 2009 too, so uh, you'll see HPP in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be good. No. <laughs> no, that'd be to put it lightly but it's kind of surprising though i mean you know it's how easy a film can be moved just because another film in the same fiscal year does so well right and something of the magnitude of harry potter uh this i may be yeah just a little disclaimer i may be wrong bit about that fiscal year because in the u.s it's from uh it starts in october and ends in september and um Obviously, Half Blood Prince came out, would come out in November, which is not the same fiscal year as Dark Knight. So, I don't know what I'm saying. But the point is that uh, it's amazing how quickly they would move this just because one film does extremely well. Right, right. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, aren't there, there's got to be some big WB films coming out in 2010 other than Harry Potter. Uh, and Harry Potter's got a November release in 2010. So, uh, for now. Frankly, I'm scared. Yeah, for now. I don't know. They're not going to delay any more movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, well. I'm not really sure ago, that they had a real good reason to delay this one, to be honest with you. So No, no, I, no, and I agree with you totally on that, Micah. I really think that it wasn't really that great of a, a reason. It was, I mean, it's all about money, but still. I mean, they should have a good movie every year. Well, they did Dark Knight, so that's why they're pushing the Harry Potter. I know, back. but I mean, it, I mean, they should have already planned that for the next year. Mm. Just sure. shows you how much faith they had in the Dark Knight. Yeah. Anyway, what else is going on? All right. Uh, J.K. Rowling updated her site uh, this oh. past week. Finally, um, mm. even though she hasn't updated her journal on the homepage since about December yeah, seventh, so that's she's cool. trying to go for the whole year without making a an update to that. But she did. Up- Date the new section with her official plans for the Beetle the Bard release on December the 4th. Uh, she will be holding a tea party. Oh, la dee da. Yeah, isn't that exciting? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, it's nice. It's nice. It's different. Um, it's, you know. Yeah, well, Joe's done a couple tea parties for Beetle the Bard. I'm pretty sure already. I love tea. Yeah, I guess you do. Um, but you know how Joe has sort of done like something for Christmas every year for the fans, like on her fan site, maybe there'll be something this year. I can't think of what, but maybe mm. some sort of exclusive or something. You know, you know what I'm saying? Right. But yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how well this book does and this, the hype and the excitement that surrounds it. it clearly it's not going to be the level of one of her previous seven books, but uh, the difference at this time, I think, with the money going to charity, the children's high-level group, uh, I think a lot of Potter fans will want to contribute in that way. Oh, yeah. Mm. It's a great cause. 
And uh, speaking of that, um, nothing is official yet. Well, actually, it is, but we can't officially announce it yet. Um, if you live in the UK, specifically London, or if you get to London easily for a Beetle of the Bard Midnight release, I would strongly recommend uh, you keep your plans cleared. Or if you're in the US and looking for a good reason to go to the UK, not just for a book release, but a certain Harry Potter podcast doing a certain midnight release for a certain book coming out in December. So, <laughs> wow, geez. Well, that was vague. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Jesus. Way to be cryptic there, Drew. If by chance we were to do something like that, I would, you know, keep your plans clear. Announcement coming in the next couple of weeks. If something were to happen. It, you know, <laughs> I, would, I would hope the next of couple of days, the next couple of weeks, you already be at the event. That's true. Yeah, people need time to book their train tickets and stuff. So, in the next yeah. um, well, week or so, you should hear from uh, us in a bookstore starting with W and ending in Otterstones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how many more Harry Potter books is J.K. Rowling going to write? I mean, this is the this is probably like the only re- relevant book. I she's hope she write. writes more. Related to um, this, or, or like Harry Potter related. Well, she might, but I mean, who knows what she's going to do? I'm, I still want to see what kind of books she's been saying she's going to write. That um, you know what's? Sorry, what? Uh, well, in that um, that suspenseful book oh, yeah. that she was saying, saying she was writing. I, I haven't heard anything about that. Yeah. Anyway, what? And uh, I think that. Is that all for the news this week? I think it is. Yep. Yep. Cool. Okay. So, all right. Uh, uh, moving on to announcements this week. Don't forget to vote for us in the podcast the awards. awards. The 2008 podcast awards are happening right now, and voting is going through what? November sixth. A few more days. Sixth. Do you do you have to vote every day, or do you, you don't have vote? to vote every day, but you should to help us win. You can vote once every 24 hours. So if you vote at 3 p.m. one day. Uh, you cannot vote at before 3 p.m. the next day. Oh, so makes you sense. have to vote at 3.01 p.m. Yeah. yeah. Uh, MuggleCast is nominated in entertainment, and our other Twilight podcast, Imprint, is nom- nominated in the <laughs> cultural arts category. Um, so feel free. Woot, woot. So feel free to vote um, for other podcasts, too, in the other categories. And uh, thank you so much for your support. Let's move on to Muggle Mail. Um, Elisa, do you want to take the first one? Oh, Sure. Uh, this one's from Jason Millis. This sort of goes with Micah's idea at the end of the debate subject. Many schools have a program that kids can choose a book to read for a reading project. I think that would be a great place to put the book in the curriculum. That way, kids could choose. They should only use book one in the curriculum, wherever they put it, because the suspense could push them further. When they do, or when they do it at our school, rather, they give us an excerpt, sometimes a chapter, to read and see if we want to read the book. Kids might respond to that because they may know someone who reads the books or have seen the movies. The kids could tell their friends about them, and their friends would read it too. The parents would also have less of a case against the school districts because their kids aren't being forced to read them. I wouldn't have enjoyed the books as much if I did have to read them. I think I think of it sort of like when I practice my violin. I enjoy practicing when I decide to, not when my parents say, go practice. Yeah, so um, I think that's that's a pretty interesting way of looking yeah, at it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I don't even remember my point from the, the end of last episode, to be honest. It feels oh, like so yeah. long ago with all the episodes we've recorded over the last week. But, that's true. Yeah, no, this is an um, interesting point. 
Everyone liked your feedback about it the most, Micah, judging yeah. by all the emails we got about it. What can I say? I should be a moderator more often. I... Yeah. You yeah. should. should take Jim Matt. Lair's place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who he is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he is a news anchor on PBS. <laughs> Our next email comes from Corey, and he writes, Hi, guys. Strangely enough, Micah's suggestion at the end of one of the books being mandated in one of my classes was how I got into the series. I, too, had dismissed the series as hype at first, but was required for a children's literature class in college to read Sorcerer's Stone. I bought the book, and even though the course was canceled due to low enrollment, I figured I'd see what all the fuss was about. Around six years later, one attempt at dressing up this year and devouring just about everything I could get my hands on in relation to the series, I'm still a Potter geek at 26, and I'm really grateful I was forced, quote-unquote, to read the first one. Thanks again, Thanks again, and you guys still rock. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, like, whenever I read a book, like, I remember in Rowan, um, I had a literature class, and I would read these books, and I always thought to myself, I would just enjoy this a lot more if I could read it on my own time just taking my time with reading it and not having to like pick a book apart and write like summaries of it and stuff like that. It just, sometimes that kind of thing can t- turn you off from reading a book. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I still think the first book should be mandated just because I think the role that it's played in our culture over the last couple of you know years, decade, whatever you want to call it uh, at this point. But it, to me, I think though, when you look at how many fans there are of Harry Potter, I think the next generation, our children, we're probably going to have them read it anyway. If you think about it, it's it's not going to be something that they're going to be force-fed in school. It's going to be something that we're going to re- either read to them or at some point have them read themselves just because we know the importance of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I definitely think that in college it's going to be um, required for like certain types of classes. I agree. Well, like, like in Corey's class. Yeah. In case. Yeah. We, we've already seen some Harry Potter classes in schools that actually do this um, in, in colleges. And mm-hmm. there's the occasional news report about it, and there's the occasional um, you know, news story. So mm-hmm. it well, is you, happening. Do, do any of you guys um, have a certain book that you were forced to read in class, but and then you just read it at a later time on your own pace and you actually liked it? No, but like when I read a book in class, I feel like I would enjoy it oh. more if I wasn't being pressured into reading it by certain dates and such. That's what really turns me off. It just, uh, of course. Uh, but then again, teachers have to do that or else They'll they don't never know read who's reading. Yeah, exactly. So you can't win. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're really studious. And final email from today. Micah, you want to take that? Sure. It comes from Harry Parker Hill, Boston, England. Does that mean Boston in New England or Boston, England? Boston in in England, I oh. think. There's a Boston in England, right? Sure. Sure. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> hey, just respond. No, I think he I think he meant New England. Yeah. I don't think Harry knows where he lives, but that's okay. Um Hey, just responding to your discussion about J.K. Rowling as a man. I think that if she were a man, the books wouldn't even have been written, and here's why. We all know that J.K. went through her depression after her disastrous the disastrously short marriage and pregnancy. And this is really what made her write the books, because she had nothing else to lose. But if she were a man, she would never have gotten pregnant, I hope, and therefore would have been able to to go out to work. (laughs) Consequently, she she wouldn't have been able to put the idea on paper purely because 
she would have had to work for a living. Thanks for the great show, Harry. I mean, you guys laugh, but I think she does bring up... She does bring up a very good point. Yeah. I mean, that um, her, her, her daughter is what partly defined her. Um, her relationship with her sister did that too. So um, I think that was an interesting perspective. And actually, uh, Harry was not the only person who sent that in. And by the way, Boston, there is a Boston in England. I just looked it up on Google yeah. Maps. But I, like I just don't like the point of where she talks about, or sorry, he talks about um, her getting pregnant and therefore would have been able to go out to work. I'm pretty sure she still worked when she was pregnant. Uh, or at least attempted to, and you know, even after she had the child, was working as well. I could be wrong on that, but I just don't see how that would deter her from writing the series if she wasn't pregnant. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. This idea that she w- should have, you know, she would have worked for a living. Uh, she still does work for, for a living. She writes, you know, that's an occupation. Last time I checked, well, it definitely wouldn't have been the same book. Yeah. It's just an interesting perspective, I think. That's I don't think so. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> I appreciate it, Harry. Thank you. I kid. All right, Laura's joining us now. Hi, Laura. Hi, everybody. Thompson. Uh, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks for letting me uh, join you so last minute here. Oh, uh, well, anything. We'd do anything for you. So this week, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to have our politics in Potter discussion. And um, Should we really talk about politics? Can we just stick to Harry Potter, please? This is, yes, Thank average MuggleCast fan. No, this is, uh, we're going to be sticking to the Harry Potter politics. We're not going to be getting uh, oh, US okay. Well, no at promises. Times we may want to. No promises. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, Mike and Laura, you guys uh, created this whole discussion, so throw it over to you guys. Yep. Well, as you mentioned, it's timely to be discussing politics in the Potter series, and uh, I guess we we divided it up into some major themes that we'll be going through, but there was a statement that was made by J.K. Rowling on the Harry Potter series as a whole, and, and I'm not quite sure when she made it, but it must have been uh, close to when the series was over. She said, I wanted Harry to leave our world and find exactly the same problems in the wizarding world. So you have the intent to impose a hierarchy, you have bigotry, and this notion of purity, which is this great fallacy, but it crops up all over the world. People like to think themselves superior, and if they can pride themselves in nothing else, they can pride themselves on perceived purity. So yeah, that follows a parallel to Nazism. It wasn't really exclusively that. I think you can see in the ministry, even before it's taken over, there are parallels to regimes we all know and love. So... With that being said, what regimes that we all know and love do you guys think she's talking about? Well, one we've discussed on the show all the time, World War II. Um, Just the parallel between uh, Nazi Germany and Voldemort and his Death Eaters, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I think she may have been focusing on some other regimes that are a little bit more contemporary. I was thinking a lot of the press... And how corrupt our, and not just ours, but press all over the world is. So, and we can get more into that mm-hmm. later. But. Do you mean more like press as in, you know, media? Media, as well? news outlets, newspapers, any any kind of news outlet where you go to get stories and where you go to get your updates, it is all corrupt. And I will tell you why later. 
<laughs> so you're gonna you're gonna give us a little bit of a speech on why the media is corrupt. Yes, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, I have a feeling Laura's going to be talking a lot about propaganda too. Yeah, <laughs> courtesy of my propaganda uh-huh. class. That class is awesome. But anyway, God, uh, I just thought she did a really good job when she said that she wanted Harry to experience the same things that take place in the real world, and I guess that's what we're going to be talking about here. But um, the first major theme that we all wanted to talk about, and Andrew, you just alluded to it a little bit, was racism, ethnic cleansing, and Nazism, uh, and their role in the Harry Potter series, and we're probably going to spend a majority, I would say, of the discussion on this, because it plays such a huge role, Um, but does anyone else want to take the first point, uh, talking about really where this all got its origin from that we learned about in the series? Um, sure. Well, I mean, as we all know, the 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 origination of that idea of blood purity comes from Salazar Slytherin, or at least as far as we know. Um, I'm sure he was influenced by somebody else, but that's really where we see that sort of ideology take its flight. And he was essentially saying that he only wanted a school where pure-blooded witches and wizards were able to learn. Of course, the other founders didn't agree with that, so he was able to have his house. Um, And we actually have a quote from the Sorting Song where it says, We'll teach just those whose ancestry is purest, and that he took only pure-blood wizards of great cunning just like him. So what do you guys... Can you can you draw any sort of parallels to anything contemporary or maybe somewhat contemporary based off that? Like, do we have anything sort of like that going on now? We really um, don't. I mean, the only thing that would come to mind to me, but this doesn't even seem that similar, is just um, like all boy schools or all girl schools or, and this is even a further stretch, but like special education schools where schools just uh, tailor to one specific group of people. Um, and the pure buds were a specific group of people. So I don't uh, know. Is that a good connection? Yeah, or is that- yeah I think no, it's I think interesting it's you brought up schooling because there's also schools that obviously uh, you can get into based upon your last name or your class status that maybe people who are not as high up in social standing or don't have that same last name wouldn't be admitted entrance into that uh, particular mm-hmm. school. So um, I was thinking more along the lines of, of what's going on in Darfur mm-hmm. and um, some, you know, just the overall uh, practices that are being used there in terms of ethnic cleansing and things along that line. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. all of this got its beginning with, with Slytherin, and he, even, he created the Chamber of Secrets with the intention of someday having an heir who would be able to open it and purge the school of of those who are not pure blood and that just whole notion is is a really scary thought yeah yeah mm-hmm. and you know what just in relation to um the genocide in sudan that you were just talking about that sort of reminds me of um the government's creation of the janjui militia um because it was sort of created for the precise purpose of um, eradicating those of, of different ethnicities. So it reminds me a lot of the Chamber of Secrets, the creation of that um, for the pure, explicit purpose of ethnic cleansing um, reminds me a lot of the Janjaweed. You know what kind of bothers me about this whole scenario is that 
Slytherin actually created this with the attempt of letting an heir do it for him. And I'm still kind of confused as to why he didn't do it himself. If he was so hell-bent on it. Um, it. And it almost gives him a godlike reverence to his followers. Mm-hmm. You know, to anybody who would look up to Salazar Slytherin. It's like... Uh, I could, he was like, the original. Right. Like, he, it, it's almost like a godlike way. And I really... I see a parallel. And I'm not going to name specific names. But there have been um, people, politicians and terrorists otherwise, you know... Um, who have stated that they were meant to do something because of either a god or or someone who lived a very long time ago. And I think that's kind of an unsettling sort of parallel. Well, I don't know. I think that the reason why Salzar Slytherin made that Chamber of Secrets is because um, at that time when he made it, he knew that he couldn't do the things that he wanted to do because um, he couldn't... Um, what wasn't a good match against um, Godric Gryffindor and the other founders, so he knew that he would have to do something. Um, so after, I, I mean, after he would have to leave, um, someone else can finish the job for him. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just diff- it, I don't know. It's hard for uh, for me to understand why he did it the way he did, just because he he did leave the school eventually anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just seems like it would make more sense if if, if his overall goal was to purge. <clears throat> this you know the world and the school more specifically of people who weren't pure blooded then I would think that he would just set the monster loose and then leave but right yeah. I mean this gets into a deeper discussion I guess about you know the, all the Hitler references and the Nazi references that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later on but with with Slytherin his mindset was just that only those of the purest blood and nobody else and that's you know pretty prejudicial stance to have on on anything yeah. oh, he's just being naive if he assumes that forever and always after you know he created uh hogwarts was just you know pure bloods that wizards uh other wizards would never be educated i mean somebody would stand up and do something right. Did, wouldn't he have thought that yeah but what's interesting is even some of the greatest characters in the series that we tend to identify with a little bit more those that are on the supposed good side identified with that type of thinking early on in their life and you know particularly Dumbledore and I know we'll talk about him right now but he was somebody uh, that we saw and we learned about in King's Cross that had a very very um, sort of issue a big issue with, with power and he himself thought about uh, how great it would be to have this power over muggles and, and people who weren't of the of the wizarding blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there was sort of, and I mean, I don't, hmm, okay. There was sort of a similar attitude held here in the United States for a period of time um, when it comes to, like, control of certain groups and what they're doing. Um when we were having a great influx of immigrants from Eastern Europe, particularly, um, the United States was actually sterilizing these people to keep them from breeding because they didn't want, because this was the time and it's, it's sort of a parallel to now because now we have um, such a great influx of immigrants from Mexico and other Latin American countries. um, And people really, or, or there's at least a very large, um, 
sentiment against these people who are coming. And it's the same way people felt particularly against the Irish when they came here. Um, so it's sort of like that same idea of putting them, like making them their own group and sort of dehumanizing them and then making it okay to deny them their basic human rights, which is what I think Slytherin was doing or attempting to do by not allowing um, half-bloods and muggle-borns education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? and, and I mean, like I said, he's, he wasn't the only one, though, that, that thought along these lines. And um, I know we have a quote here about Dumbledore and Grindelwald, but anybody want to read it? Uh, the quote is, It is a curious thing, Harry, but perhaps those who are best suited to power are those who have never sought it. Those who, like you, have leadership thrust upon them and take up the mantle because they must and find to their own surprise that they will wear it well. Well, and it's also been discussed that um, Harry has a lot of qualities. That, that quote re- reminds me of this. Harry Potter has a lot of qualities like uh, Salazar. Um, you know, they were both parcel mouths. They were both um, resourceful. They had a lot of determination. I mean, you know, it, these qualities. What What is Dumbledore trying to say here exactly? Well, he's basically trying to say that people who desire power and desire to be leaders are probably not the best people to do it because they become easily mm-hmm. corrupt. Uh um, which kind of, I mean, just, just looking at the election, I, I always kind of felt like anybody who would want to run for president must be somewhat of an egomaniac because, whoa, <laughs> that is quite an undertaking. And it, it's like, it makes you wonder what is the motivation behind the people who are running for yeah. our public office. And well, that's a good point. Cause you have to wonder, like, you know, they always say, you know, I'm doing it for you guys, but are they really? I mean, mm-hmm. is there anyone out there who's that in love with the people of America so much that they would, you know, take a role as huge as president? I mean, I don't know. Honestly, speaking as someone who has plans to be a politician one day, I can personally say that that's that's my motivation. <laughs> yeah, I'm not but, kidding. But you're maybe special, that's maybe Lisa. that's really naive. You're special, though. I am. It's because I'm a badger, isn't it? Because I'm a helpful. <laughs> yeah, buff, I know. But I mean, in all seriousness, I think. I mean, I think there's a distinction to be made as well. I think that um, seizing power and um, is completely different than putting yourself up for a vote and respecting the rules of democracy uh-huh. and of uh, a republic. But you see with Voldemort and every other dictator in the world, whether you know, Stalin or Hitler or Mussolini, they've all seized power and taken it for themselves through uh, a revolution or a revolt um, that you know, oftentimes just completely ignore the rule of law. So I think there's a really big difference between trying to take power for yourself and then trying to um, just integrate into a political system. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I think what um, J.K. Rowling meant when she did that quote was that she meant she meant to say that um, leaders, um, the great leaders, are born when um, problems arise and they when a leader is needed. I don't think I, I think she means that. When um, you seek power for too much, um, for per- more than personal gain, um, like Andrew said, you just get easily corrupted and you just get, there's no um, balance between mm. it. I think, Elisa, what you said too, the difference between those people you brought up and Dumbledore down the road is that he admits himself that he learned that he was not to be trusted with any sort of power. And right. you know, we see him tell Harry specifically that 
he would never have taken the role of Minister of Magic for fear of him being corrupted by that power, just because of um, you know the other things that that he enlightens with Harry. And he says, you know, and I'll just read this quote here real fast. But he says, Grindelwald, you can Im- cannot imagine how his ideas caught me, Harry, inflamed me. Muggles forced into subservience, we wizards triumphant. Grindelwald and I, the glorious young leaders of the revolution. Oh, I had a few scruples. I assuaged my conscience with empty words. It would all be for the greater good, and any harm done would be repaid a hundredfold in the benefit for wizards. Did I know in my heart of hearts what Gellert Grindelwald was? I think I did, but I closed my eyes. If the plans we were making come to fruition, all my dreams would come true. So, oh, and that's Dumbledore, Dumbledore speaking. Yeah, that kind of upsets me. Like he would, um, he he knows he knows in the back of his mind about what's really happening, but he just chooses to ignore it and just try to let Grindelwald, um, you know, cloud his mind, and he lets him do it, and he knows he's doing it because he had a fascination with him. I know like, that's Rowling's that's what just upsets me a little bit. But well, I mean, here's here's the thing: is that. At least, I think that that happens to most most people in their lives at some point. Probably not on such a grand scale as planning, you know, a, a revolution or you know, an oppression of a people. But I think that I would say the majority of people are fascinated and overtaken by some kind of concept or person. But not everyone. In fact, very few people have the courage and the perspective to look back and realize that's what happened and to admit to it. So for me, this. That whole dynamic that Dumbledore um, plays out here in this scene made me kind of respect him and love him even more in a way because I felt like it just it proved how very wise he was because a lot of times being wise isn't about always being right. It's about being able to admit when you are mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. Well, yeah, but and as we discussed before, this just makes Dumbledore a very real person too. Yeah, right, exactly. Right. But it also shows that even somebody as great as him and as good as him had these ideas in his head, even though it was probably at a relatively young age. But it just shows that, you know, how these types of ideas can really take hold of people and how power is really a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess we can move on. Um, and yeah, I know we, we've it, talked about this on past shows, but the Deathly Hollows symbol. Um, it shows up on the walls at Durmstrang, and it really did remind me of how the Nazis would use the swastika um, in different places to instill fear in those. Uh, it, and it's not just in World War II; it's obviously still u- used to this day to to sort of um, represent racism and, and prejudice and things of that nature. Well, you know what mm-hmm. I found the most fascinating about this is that both symbols um, began out, they originated in sort of like a benign fashion. Exactly, I mean, yeah, I was going to say that too. So. Yeah, the swastika originally, it actually, um, it's, it was originally, I think it was Sanskrit for swastika, which means um, to be good. And it was used all across Central Europe and even actually in a lot of Native American cultures. It's one of the most universal symbols that there are, that there is. And it was transformed completely um, by this propaganda of nationalism that the Nazis employed.
destroyed. And so now, even though for 3,000 years it existed as a symbol of peace and good nature, um, you know, in the course of like a few years, a decade, mm-hmm. now we look back on it and we see it as a symbol of prejudice and hate. And, you know, in a lot of ways, rightly so. But it's the same thing with the Deathly Hallows symbol. I mean, it's essentially when you break it down, it's just a wand and a stone and, and a cloak. And it originated from a legend and a fairy tale, and um, but it was completely transformed by by hate. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and it's, another. It's interesting. Good. Oh, I was just going to say another, and this sort of relates to the propaganda thing that Elisa was talking about. Um, but another sort of parallel you can see between the two symbols is that they're both so simple. Um, like the whole point of having a propaganda mm-hmm. campaign is you want it to be simple because you want people to remember it. If the swastika had had tons of exactly. elaborate design, people wouldn't remember it as well as they do. But it's stark. It's simple and it just sticks in our brains. And what better symbols to use in the wizarding world than a wand, a cloak, and what? The resurrection stone? Which apparently yeah. is ingrained in yeah. bedtime stories that you hear from when you're a child. So, <laughs> so But when you say remember, do you mean it's it's easy to remember for people to use so that they can instill that fear? No, it's I mean so, it's it's just easy to remember in general. You know, when it, like you see it and you know, like, who didn't know what the swastika was when they were a child? Even if you didn't know all the history behind it, you still knew it was a bad symbol because you'd been brought up to think that way. Anytime you saw it on a book somewhere, it was some, you know, a book with a negative connotation about Nazism, for instance, you yeah. know? But for argument's sake, right. I mean, is simplicity really what sticks with people in their mind? Because yes. if you think of something... Really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you're trying to make an argument about something, especially when it's an irrational argument, a racist or prejudiced argument, the best way to do it um, is to simplify and to demonize the people. Mm-hmm. So you take, you know, um, a, a whole race or something, and and you simplify them to so they're not even really humans anymore. They're just objectified. And when you objectify something, you are inherently simplifying it. And so that's why propagandists will always use a lot of really simplistic sim- symbols and signs and even catchphrases to get their point across. Yeah, and honestly, I mean. As bad as it sounds, the Nazis were brilliant propagandists. There's no, they were. Abs- there's absolutely it. no way around it. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think that to this day politicians hold these huge rallies? Because it's harder to have your own individual thought and to actually interpret what they're telling you when you're standing in a crowd of 10,000 people screaming. And that's exactly what the Nazis did. They gave these people their little swastika flags and started yelling about... Um, you know, Hitler did a lot of yelling, <laughs> and <laughs> and people and people took it because it's so. You know, if you're sitting, if you're sitting across the table from Hitler, it's much easier to sort of reflect on what he's saying. But when you're shouting at the top of your lungs because you feel that your country's economy has been driven into the ground because of one race, it's much harder to reflect on that. And that's what made them so brilliant in what they did because they knew how to manipulate people. Mm-hmm. And I think Voldemort did too. Well, yeah, he played. I think you're right. Well, I think he played on their fears and insecurities more than Hitler did. Um, you know, maybe I could be wrong on that, but. I think that maybe that's a shared characteristic between the two of them. And I think that's how they were able to motivate. You use the example of, hey, the Jewish people are responsible for all the failures uh, in the economy at the time in Europe. And, you know, Voldemort kind of did the same thing 
uh, saying, oh, well, if we don't take care of the non-purebloods, then all these half-bloods and muggles are, are going to come along and they're going to take all the jobs away or they're going to, to really just, you know, I guess take th- the, the things away from the purebloods that he believed was their given right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, I think you said that you're not sure if Voldemort played off their more uh, their insecurities more than uh, Hitler did, but I think that we just see it more throughout the Harry Potter books than we really saw with Harry. But yeah. I mean, you got to think about think about the Diary of Anne Frank. I mean, you don't know, talk about play about playing off in- insecurities. Um, there's some serious insecurity there. So mm-hmm. I think you know we just read about it more in this book. So. I think Hitler more than anything. Um, played off of anger than anything else because um, the Nazi people, or not the Nazi people, listen to me, geez, uh, the German people, <laughs> the German people, uh, they were really, they weren't insecure as much as they were angry over, you know, the Treaty of Versailles, um, the war guilt clause, and things of that nature. And so I think more than more than any other emotion, Hitler fed off of anger and discontent than insecurity, but that's just my right. perspective. Well, speaking of Voldemort, let's... hey, can I bring something up first yeah. before we move on? Though, sure. I think that the reason that J.K. Rowling uh, brings all these parallels into the books, like the ones we're discussing right now, is because those these parallels are are really what can be get bring the most emotion out of reading them, because it's already been proven and tested um, that you know these kinds of stories can really bring a lot of emotion out of people so i think that like you know it's not i'm not saying that like jk rowling is just going the easy way by using a similar story but i think that it's just a proven formula that works and i think maybe that was her thinking behind it perhaps yeah i I mean i wouldn't even say that it's it's that you could call it an easy route i I think that it takes a lot of creativity to be able to weave that into a story and and really to to have people look through it, pick out the comparisons, and and maybe there are a lot of things that are in there that are just coincidence too. But I think though, knowing her background, knowing that she used to be a teacher, that there are these events that you could compare to what happened in the real world, and they're there for a reason. And I think yeah, the biggest one is hopefully that people learn from them you know they can draw similar uh conclusions and comparisons and they themselves can learn from it yeah Mm -hmm. i really don't think it's a coincidence to be honest with you though i feel like um all this stuff was written for not after the not after that opening quote about how she wanted harry to face the same uh things in his world as that took place in the the real world so but um I, i guess we can move on to voldemort right yeah i mean we can start with the the basic facts we mentioned before that he was the heir of Slytherin. Um, and something interesting about him was that he himself was a half blood. And we all know that Hitler wasn't very representative of the Aryan race that he prized so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes. If you look at a picture of Hitler, he definitely did not have those qualities. Um, And uh, again, I just thought that that was an interesting similarity. Voldemort himself uh, is is so gung-ho about purebloods, and yet he himself is a half-blood. Isn't that somewhat hypocritical? Yeah. Yeah. 
I guess more so what I wondered was, does he no longer consider himself a half-blood once he becomes Voldemort? Is he now Voldemort, the pure-blood, yeah. crazy wizard? Yeah. He doesn't even talk about it. I don't even think he thinks about it anymore. Like, no. it's not even it's not even an issue in his mind. Yeah. I mean, he hates himself for being a half-blood, so, yeah, you would, he would... He's Voldemort. I don't, yeah, he doesn't even consider himself any type of blood. He considers himself immortal. Yeah, and although I will point out that... Um, that being blonde-haired and blue-eyed wasn't really a necessity um, to be part of the Nazi party. I mean, I know if you look at any number of Nazi propaganda films like Triumph of the Will, you'll see all these strapping, young, blonde-haired, blue-eyed soldiers. Um, But actually, what the Nazis believed was that um, you could be Aryan and have non-Aryan features because, and this was how they would put it, um, your ancestors had mixed with the Slavs or something like that. Um, there's actually a really great film called Europa Europa about a young Jewish boy who actually infiltrated the Hitler Youth School. And it's a true story. And they actually brought him up to the front of the classroom and did all the weird scientific measurements they did that would justify whether you were Aryan or not. And they would say, mm-hmm. and they said that this young Jewish boy was of pure Aryan descent, but that he had, that, you know, his ancestors had just mixed around a little bit with Slavs and that it really wasn't his fault. So mm-hmm. that's kind of mm-hmm. how they viewed that. But I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there. It's good. Yep. The next couple points are not mine, so I'm going to defer to whoever put them in there. We're going to turn it over to Laura. I didn't put that there. Um, I, I think I, I think I put <laughs> it there. <laughs> um, well, the next point was just that um, both Voldemort and Hitler had um, experiences in their youth that contributed to their adult prejudices. Um, Voldemort, obviously, with the orphanage and how he always talks about sort of being ostracized and being the odd man out and not fitting in and, you know, indeed getting so frustrated and angry about it that he would, uh, you know, attack the other students and use his magic against them. And, but Hitler had a similar experience when he was growing up. He, Hitler was actually Austrian. He was born in Austria. And when he grew up in his town, um, the economy was terrible, primarily because of the reparations um, that Austria had to pay after World War One, And he blamed the economy on the Jewish people because there was a high percentage of Jews in his particular town. So he just made this very, again, simplistic, um, though largely inaccurate connection between Jews and the economy. And this experience as a youth and growing up in like sort of like an impoverished country um, is a huge factor for why he had a prejudice against Jews later on in his life. And then you also mentioned that they both failed in their initial attempts to seize power. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I lost a place in the Google yeah. Doc. But isn't yeah. that uh, Isn't that when he wrote that huge rambling sentence of a novel? Mein Kampf, didn't he write that in prison? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Hitler tried um, seizing power first with the beer hall push, and it failed miserably. And um, he almost, he contemplated suicide afterwards and um, was thrown in jail. And that's where he wrote Mein Kampf. Um, But then, of course, later, his second rise to power, um, he was much more successful or closer to succeeding in what his ultimate goal was. And I see a parallel with Voldemort as well. Um, Just in that Voldemort tried to rise to power, failed. And he failed the second time as well, but so did Hitler. But I think the second time they both came closer. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. This is um these parallels really are um this may sound weird, but I think they are pretty beautiful. Um just like comparing like the Death Eaters to Nazi Germany. Um yeah. it's just so well done. Oh. Well, we can talk about mm-hmm. them, I guess. Uh, it, you know, Voldemort, he organized an army who followed his every word and feared his every act. And Elisa and Laura, you guys are far more informed on this than I am, but I know Hitler did some of the same thing, but wasn't it more because people actually believed in what he said, not that they feared his every act? Yeah. I, I mean, there was, like I said, there was a lot of anger with Hitler, there was a lot of anger among the German people for um, the reparations and the war guilt clause in the Treaty of Versailles. So it started out initially, I think eventually it definitely evolved into a dynamic of fear and oppression for sure. But I think initially, Hitler, it's important to remember is that initially Hitler was elected. He was appointed as chancellor and he was elected by his party. He, um, with the exception of the initial beer hall push from which he tried to seize power after that, he learned his lesson and realized that the only way to actually take power is to do it um, through democratic means, and he did. And um, obviously, the only way to do that through democratic means is to have the power of the people on your side. So initially, he was an extremely popular figure. Right, mm-hmm. as, as opposed to Voldemort, who was not. I right. <laughs> he, yeah. yeah, not certainly not among um, the entire magical world as Hitler was with the German people yeah. now. Now, what about this mm-hmm. point about... Uh, Voldemort um, sort of mobilizing in a somewhat underground manner. As... Bless <laughs> you. <laughs> That's what she thinks about wow. that. <laughs> but <Sorry>. um, <laughs> him mobilizing in a somewhat underground manner, similar to Hitler. I mean, you mentioned very early on he had this beer hall approach. Um, uh, I mean, Voldemort wasn't going around to all the local taverns and pitching his ideas, but <laughs> <laughs> but it, he kind of went about it in a, in a, in a comparative way. He was he, he. I always have this idea of Voldemort sort of just going from place to place to place in a kind of a very concealed manner and recruiting people that way. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. and I mean, this isn't really a joke, but it's sort of like Osama bin Laden style, how he's just always hiding in the caves and we can never find him. Mm-hmm. Similar to how Voldemort can never really be found unless he wanted to be found. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's not a bad comparison because, you know, he didn't, same with bin Laden, he didn't fully show his true power until he was confident that his plans would work. You know, right. you mm-hmm. think about 9 11. He didn't come to the surface fully until he knew that that act was going to be carried out with success. Mm-hmm. It's always interesting, too, like when, when uh, you don't see Bin Laden around for a while or now um, a lot of people are concerned about uh, the Korean le- leader. Uh, Kim Jong-il. Kim Jong-il. Yeah. Kim Jong-il. Yeah. I mean, the, the government there, I read on CNN, released a picture of him smiling the other day to assure people he's in good health. I kind of always help uh, wish that, like... You know, in Harry Potter, it would have been cool to see some of that. Like, is Voldemort even still alive? Do we even know? I mean, there's not that much time in the books to do that because, like, this is only over seven years. So, so moving on to the Death Eaters, um, we just mentioned briefly before, very similar to the Nazis catching on and following Hitler. Um, and what I really want to talk about here was that you had these Death Eaters after the initial fall of Voldemort that 
went before the Wizen Gamut, and they eventually were sent off to Azkaban, um, some of them hoping one day that, that Voldemort would return to power. And I thought this was a little bit similar to the Nuremberg trials after the war was over. The Nazis were put on trials, some of the higher officials. And, and eventually, once convicted, these um, soldiers were executed. I wonder why none of the Death Eaters were, were ever thought to be executed. Um, I don't know, but I can say that a parallel that I would draw with this is that at the Nuremberg trials, as well as what we see with the Death Eaters, is they both um, they both take the guilt off of themselves and try and deflect it to their leader. You know, you see a lot of the Death Eaters saying, I was bewitched, I was put under the Imperious Curse, and everything else like that. And the same case, at the Nuremberg trials, a lot of the SS and the Nazis, they would all saying, you know, I... I was afraid for my life, like sort of the Peter Pettigrew um, defense. Like, what was I supposed to do? And so I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure if if that actually worked. I know the Nuremberg trials. Um, there were a couple, not all, but there were a couple of people who got off on that defense. So maybe it was the same thing with the Death Eaters. I don't know. Okay. Well, moving on. The last point we have here in this sort of racism prejudice category was. The Muggleborn Registration Commission and the Magic is Might statue that showed up in Deathly Hollows, and and I think Laura, you actually put this in here, talking about that the commission was not just a tie to the way the Nazis rounded up the Jews and other people yeah. during World War II, but there were other examples in history as well. Yes, um, the one that I was primarily thinking of was, again, it actually took place here. And what's really disturbing is a lot of people don't know about it because it's pretty well covered up. Um, but after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, um, the United States rounded up Japanese Americans and put them in internment camps in the U.S. Because they thought that anybody who was of Japanese heritage would be a threat to our society after this attack. So it's it's right. sort of like the same idea. The right, yeah. definitely, yeah. And, and in particular, the statue also that we see in in the hall of the Ministry of Magic, it, it was really disturbing to me because when I read that description, I immediately thought of the concentration camps. You know, you have these um, people just really twisted and contorted, all on top of each other, and it, it was just disgusting if you think about it you have these wizards sitting on top this body of bodies literally just uh, Mm -hmm. kind of a disturbing picture to put in your head I see Laura here you also mentioned that being anti-semitic and anti-muggle-born was already somewhat acceptable in the Harry Potter series up until this point where we see this commission yeah you mean just from what we've heard from people like the Malfoys and other Families, or I mean, you can even relate that to Dumbledore, I think, because you look at when you hear from him at King's Cross, he's talking about, you know, the idea of wizards being triumphant and muggles being subservient. Um, Well, I didn't actually put the point in there, um, but I can tell you what I think. I think it's just another parallel to show. I mean, there, it is completely inaccurate to say that we are live in a society without racism and prejudice 
it is very much present in our society. And in many areas, it's acceptable, which is disgusting, but it's true. So I think it's just another tie to our more contemporary society, you know, to make it more prevalent. So, Yeah, I, I think in particular here, you just see it manifesting itself. Whereas, you know, and, and I'll even bring it up because I know it's something that took place recently, but you look at what has gone on at some of the campaign rallies um, holded, held, excuse me, by Senator McCain and, and Governor Palin in terms of the crowd's response to certain things that were said and what they've said about Senator Obama. And the idea that racism, as you just said, is it does not exist in today's society. All you have to do is go and look at something like that. 2008, this kind of stuff is still going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was about Obama specifically when they were talking about some of his stances. And um, I remember hearing that 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 did end up getting a lot of press a couple of weeks ago. And I remember hearing that once they saw what was going on or once it started gaining press, they uh, McCain and Palin adjusted their speeches a bit, I guess, to, I don't know, calm the crowds down or something. But. Yeah, it's amazing that that really still happens, and even over a presidential candidate. Well, and what's very mm-hmm. disturbing is we see the same kind of scapegoating going on right now that that you can also draw a parallel to the Holocaust. Um, there's been that big flap the past few months about um, people thinking that Barack Obama is a Muslim. First of all, he's not. Oh. Second of all, who cares? <laughs> Why would it matter if he was? Because currently in our society, people of Arabic descent and people who practice Islam are considered scapegoats. And anytime anytime these people want to blame something terrible on someone else, they blame it on someone who is either Arabic or fits a very generic Middle Eastern stereotype in terms of how they look. And I remember a few weeks ago, there was footage of John McCain speaking with a woman who said she couldn't trust Barack Obama because he was an Arab. And what bothered me more than anything, more than her saying that, was that John McCain responded to her and said, no, ma'am, he is not. He is a good citizen with whom I have disagreements. So he made a distinction between being an Arab and being a good citizen. And that really, really bothered me. And I'm going to shut up now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, yeah, I mean, this is the point, you know, that I think Mike is, we've all been trying to make, just that uh, it was very real in the Harry Potter fandom, too. And it it was almost coincidental that Joe brought this up because, really, I mean, there hasn't been many blatant, uh, unless I'm missing something or maybe I'm completely off, but there hasn't been many blatant attempts at racism lately other than, but, well, there hasn't been any attempts before this presidential election. I mean, am I right? Um, there was actually, I don't know. No one's really sure. I mean, there's the, there's the occasional story, you know, like Don Imus having the remark about a women's basketball team. Well, did you hear about um, the, the two men who were just arrested because they had an assassination plot? And um, they they were planning to kill something yeah. like twenty other African American citizens yeah. before that. Yeah, it I happens, think. But you, Andrew's I referring mean, one, to other incidents before like, the election. Oh, before right. the election, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm saying are, it's coincidental that Joe brought this up, you know, in a, a year ago in Deathly Hallows. But 
you know, and now it's happening again. It seems to be picking up more than it was actually at about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think there are always isolated incidents th- that are going to make the national media. But you have to remember there are also incidents that take place at the local level that, that in your local newspaper that you never hear about. Or, I'm sorry, that, that the national audience never hears about. So it, it still does exist. There's no question about it. I mean, there are incidents – uh, there was one that just took place on Long Island about um, you know a swastika being spray painted on a temple, or a menorah being overturned and vandalized. I mean, it does take place. It it may not be at the level of, of, of to receive national attention, but it still does happen. Right. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and you know that kind of those are the final points of about the Muggleborns. You know, saying that they were really responsible, uh, according to Voldemort, for the falling standards in the wizarding world. And I know Laura alluded to before about how that was similar, or Elisa did, about you know Germany's failing economy and, and the Jews were blamed for that. So there, there's another comparison there. And um, it also says here that, that in the years prior to the Holocaust, Jews would often be terrorized and have their residences and businesses vandalized. You know, the biggest night of course being crystal knock which was the night of broken glass where you know literally hundreds not thousands of stores and homes were just completely destroyed and i think laura here pointed out there's a there's a similar incidence with a muggle family in goblet of fire where you know they're tortured at the quidditch world cup and nobody really thinks of it as being against the law they just seeing it as happening and they they kind of turn a, a blind eye because they're all running for the, their lives themselves. The final point we wanted to make here on this topic was um, that even Ron said that he would tell everyone Hermione was his cousin, you know, so Hermione wasn't known as as a mudblood. Um, and oftentimes friends of Jewish families would attempt to do this, too. So um, another good parallel and a very interesting and slightly more hidden one i think well yeah I mean, you brought up and frank it. before that's a perfect yeah. example of that yeah 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 exactly mm-hmm. it's an amazing story all right movie so we finally moved off our first point there of racism and Woo! ethnic cleansing and nazism happy election day yeah <laughs> exactly uh the, 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 the remainder of the points i guess are a little bit shorter but um one of the things that i just wanted to touch on real fast was um the evils of war and Obviously, with a lot going on with our country uh, here in the U.S. and others around the world who are for helping out, but G.K. Rowling said, "I very consciously wanted to show what is one of the great evils of war, which is that totally innocent people are slaughtered. Another great evil of war is that children lose their families." Hmm. So, and I mean, this is her talking about the deaths in Book Seven, I guess, or just as a whole. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that was that was one of the like um, I remember the first quote when Joe said like, oh, it's going to be a bloodbath. And like the press picked that up and everyone said, well, you know, of course, the press eats that kind of stuff up. But really, it's not a surprise because they are going into a war and innocent people would die. So, yeah, I actually think this was in response to a question about why Remus and Tonks had to die. Oh, OK. And mm-hmm. that makes sense if you think yeah, about they it. they were just boring characters. It doesn't make sense how the people... <laughs> Nick! Oh my god! Blasphemy. Kick him off the show now. You're banned from the show. No. Mic off. No more mic. No, we needed a good laugh. This was a, too serious of a show so far. 
His mic's I did off not ten find minutes. insulting Remus Lupin funny. Put my mic up. Thank you. There you go. Bat. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh. Do you have any apologies or anything to say? No. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, your mic's off. Sorry, can't hear you. Um, <laughs> just over. Yeah. Uh, all right. So moving away from war, obviously played a big role in the series. Um, but now ministry corruption, uh, educational reform, and biased media—huge topics in and of themselves. But this is something I think Lauren and Elise are going to have a lot of fun with. Um, particularly the ignorance of Cornelius Fudge throughout the course of the Harry Potter series. Um, and, and one interesting thing that J.K. Rowling said was that you should question authority and you should not assume that the establishment or the press tells you all of the truth. And an uh, interesting quote by Dumbledore from Goblet of Fire. He says, You're blinded by the love of the office you hold, Cornelius. You place too much importance, and you always have done, on the so-called purity of blood. You fail to recognize that it matters not what someone is born, but what they grow up to be. So, Laura, I'll let you go off. Uh, obviously, Cornelius... I hate him just as much as Umbridge, to be honest with you, uh, in the series, and he's just a piece of work. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's tons that we can say about him, and I kind of have a very biased <laughs> opinion that I put in the rightly that I won't share. Um, yeah, you know, before I even <laughs> read that, I realized, is Joe trying to pull any parallels here? I mean, in all seriousness, do you think she is? Like, because everything else in the ministry seems to be some sort of parallel. So does Fudge have any? Uh, yeah. yeah. Actually. I the, mean, we can point the finger on well, Joe. Well, the, you know, the instead of us being political, it's Joe. The, God, like a, the bullet point actually got moved down to the prophet and the quibbler. But she said in an interview that he was based on um, the character of Neville Chamberlain, who was a British prime minister ah, in the late 1930s. And... Um, Chamberlain so hoped to avert another war in Europe that he looked the other way when it came to the Nazi regime's atrocities and allowed Germany to annex parts of Czechoslovakia, calling it peace for our time. He eventually declared war on Germany when Hitler invaded Poland. Chamberlain was succeeded as prime minister by Winston Churchill. Um, so again, more World War II referencing, and you can clearly see the similarities between Chamberlain and Fudge. Um, just sort of really turning a blind eye to everything that's going on and acting in complete and utter ignorance. Well, it seems to me then if if she's making this parallel between Chamberlain and Cornelius Fudge, Chamberlain's um, known for what, what she's talking about here, this turning a blind eye, the technical term for that is appeasement. So it seems to me that if she's drawing this parallel between the two, that the character of Cornelius Fudge is um, a rather strong um rather strong speaking out of against appeasement and the whole concept of appeasing one's enemies to to get peace for for oneself mm-hmm. um yeah i was just gonna kind of throw this little point in here really quickly i don't know if any of you remember um but there are a lot of people who try to draw comparisons comparisons between Voldemort and George Bush and other characters in the series um, a lot of there are a lot of characters people try to compare to George Bush um, but actually in chapter one of Half-Blood Prince 
and this is just my opinion. It's chapter one, the other minister. It's talking about the prime minister of England. And it said he was waiting for a call from the president of a far distant country. And between wondering when the wretched man would telephone and trying to suppress unpleasant memories of what had been a very long, tiring and difficult week, blah, blah, blah. goes on from there. I think that was her little nod towards our commander in chief. But that's just me. Um. I think you, I think you have a point there, but I mean, there's <laughs> very, very little. It's very ab- subtle, though. That's what's great about it. Yeah. Like, it could be anyone you want it to be, which is probably what's best about it. Um, but considering the political climate, <laughs> I mean, maybe it's a coincidence. I mean, and like least- maybe this one could be a coincidence, or at least you know the parallel you're trying to draw, because there haven't been like any United States related parallels, I don't think, in um United States specifically parallels in the Harry Potter books. So I don't know if that would make any difference, but No, right. but considering uh, well, uh, the considering the relationship that the United States and Britain have mm-hmm. I'll just leave it at that. And Elisa's informing me that I'm gonna man. get death threats, so if I was a betting man, I would say that J.K. Rowling is not too fond of George W. Bush, and we should uh, leave it at that. Well, yeah, and- I mean, considering she gave how much money to, what, the Labor Party? Yeah, the Labor right. Party. Right. Yeah. Yep. Next part of it has to do with the press, and I know that, uh, Laura, you put most of the press-related stuff in here, and you were actually, we were talking a little bit about it before the show, um, how you feel that the press can often manipulate mm-hmm. people who read their uh, right of course um what's really disturbing about the press in general and it's really a parallel that we see in harry potter is that all of our media outlets are owned by like the same four or five people who have very vested interests in what those outlets are reporting to us um for instance one of the one of the most well-known ones is that um general electric owns nbc so if there's ever an energy scandal that has anything to do with General Electric, you will never hear about it on NBC. Furthermore, um, I think I was reading the NBC, like, out of all the news networks, they cover energy the least. Well, so, yeah. Well, it's, NBC's yeah. had those. Um, I remember last last year they had the um, they had the whole green week. And, like, <laughs> I remember some shows actually had the lights off. They had, like, most of their studio lights off. And they were trying to send a message about how to conserve energy. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that they don't cover any sort of I mean, energy that's positive stories. Press, but, though. Right. Yeah. It's it's positive press for them. That's essentially what it boils down to. Um, and a lot of those same tactics are used by the Public Relations Committee. I mean, there's so many instances in which, um, like, I can think of that the United States has been at war. And at large, the public opinion of it was not good. There was a lot of political dissent. Um, Particularly, I'm thinking of when um, Saddam Hussein attacked Kuwait. Am Mm -hmm. I right on that, Elisa? Yeah, Gulf War? Indeed. Indeed. And and there was a huge, huge public uprising against this. People did not want this to happen. Well, the Public Relations Committee created a a quote-unquote citizen group called Citizens for a Free Kuwait in order to convince citizens that that for at the most part the most part um, u.s citizens wanted to free kuwait which which was a complete success in terms of propaganda at the very least um and i think we see the same kind of 
of tactics used by the Daily Prophet. Um, oh, yeah. Particularly in the last two Potter books where the government completely took over the um the papers and it's very prevalent because now um anytime the government wants to do something or release something they don't do it without consulting someone from pr so there's definitely right. a huge tie there yeah it's all selective information i mean and, and one of the things that i can think about today that um if you think about it whenever we hear about uh, events in iraq or afghanistan uh, it will always be about um, you know, on I guess the more depressing side of things, you know, when there are incidents where soldiers are killed, it's usually all you hear about is, you know, if they're American, if they're British, Australian, so on and so forth. And when you get these counts of people who have who have been killed, you never hear anything about the the number of Iraqis that have been killed over in Iraq or the number of you know citizens of Afghanistan that have been killed and these are regular everyday people i'm not talking about soldiers so it's very selective in terms of the information that you hear yeah and actually isn't it true that we don't keep a count at all it's like we don't actually keep a count of how many iraqi civilians are dying in the war oh uh, yeah it's, i thought, I, yeah. thought I heard that too yeah like we, it's got to be hundreds of thousands. Though. Yeah, it has. Well, to I be. know that I know that the reason that they're try- that it's not being counted um, as closely as it as it would be otherwise is because they're arguing that, of course, it's difficult to to count when you're talking about civilian casualties who are being um, bombed from the push of a button, you know. So, and you know, I I don't know. I could say a lot more on that, but I'll... Mm-hmm. I did a whole paper on the ethics of journalism a while ago, and it was just really interesting and eye-opening to see, you know, how pick-and-choosy, so to speak, that the media is. Um, and The Daily Prophet is is definitely a beautiful representation of the real-life um, media in today's society. It's terrible. It's so bad. And that's why things like YouTube and podcasting... I just sounded like Sarah Painley when I said YouTube. YouTube. Um, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I can see YouTube from my chair. Maverick. <laughs> it's, it, they're, they're growing so quickly and people love them so much because it's true free speech. And, you know, whereas with like um, Laura said with NBC not reporting on energy as much, um, you know, with, with just average people reporting on whatever they want because they're not limited by a boss overhead. Um, and that's mm-hmm. the beauty of podcasting specifically. Yeah. I mean, in, even today, we can rattle off a number of different news outlets and newspapers that tend to lean one way or the other. Um, and it, it, it's kind of scary, though, because it it's all crafted to that particular audience. And, and if you don't say you don't know any better, what are you really learning? You're not learning the truth at all. You're learning a skewed version of the truth. And one thing that I noticed, and it wasn't just something that the Daily Prophet did, um, it was something that was performed by the ministry, calling that what they were doing to Muggleborns, the Muggleborn Registration Commission, it's giving a very terrible act, a much nicer name, in order to convince people, or at least to put their minds at ease that maybe... It, what's going on isn't so terrible. And it's sort of like all the things, all the names that we see given to all these terrible things that are happening now, like um, conservatives, instead of calling um, calling it global warming, they say climate change. And it's not the war in Iraq. It's Project Iraqi Freedom. 
and it's very disturbing how just giving something a positive connotation completely changes the way a lot of people think about it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Well, that reminds me of George Orwell. I just had to throw that out there. Oh, yes. Oh, the Ministry of Truth. The Ministry of Truth and Newspeak and euphemisms and, um, you know, the whole, yeah, like that just, that's very Orwellian. And I also just want to bring up really quick that I think the beauty of the um, Daily Prophet dynamic is that the Daily Prophet is supposed to represent, theoretically, just like all newspapers and press and media, at least in Western you know, democracies is supposed to represent, you know, a beacon of information and truth. And they're supposed the people behind it are supposed to have good intentions. So I think the Daily Prophet really exemplifies how evil isn't doesn't just come from bad people. That evil isn't necessarily a person or a, you know tangible object. It's also, you know, when someone with good intentions does something wrong. So people who are trying to do something good, who are trying to, you know, put the truth out there are, are not, are, are not doing it because they think they're doing something good. And it's really only, uh, it's really only hurting everyone else. So I think the daily prophets lesson is that, you know, you can't, you can't even people that you think you can trust in, in, in the war times, you can't because the propaganda's machine is always ro- rolling. Yeah. Well, wasn't it Sirius who told Harry the world isn't separated into good people and death eaters? Yes. Right, exactly. Or along those lines. Exactly. I think that's what the Daily Prophet's lesson is. I think that's just another example of that in the story. All right. So moving on to the last piece of corruption, I guess you could say, is Dolores Umbridge and her educational decrees. Um, and <laughs> your favorite character, Andrew. Yes. Yeah, no, she really is. So apparently education is extremely corrupt, uh, particularly here in the United States. Laura, would you care to enlighten me? Oh, well, I was thinking specifically in terms of the area where I'm from. Um, I know that as a homeschooler um, during three years of high school, I really got to experience how corrupt at least my local educational system was. Um, For starters, they really tried to discourage me from leaving the public school system. Um, And I later found out that a lot of the reason they discourage students from homeschooling and pursuing a GED is because um, they lose funding for those students. For, For every day that you're in school, the school gets a certain amount of funding. Um, Also, I think that a lot of educational boards gear what what the local school systems are allowed to teach in terms of what the general consensus of the area is, which is really, I think, something that Umbridge did. She came at such a time of fear for people because Voldemort was uprising. There was a lot of uncertainty. And when you take a large mass of uncertain people, it's very, very easy to bend them to your will and say, look, I'm just doing this to protect you and doing this to protect your children. And that's all you have to do in order to convince them that what you're doing is right. Laura, couldn't you say, though, that that's really similar to how certain people uh, that are in power in politics in our country today have used certain events that have taken place in the past to their own advantage? Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. Leave it at that. Without getting yeah. too political. Right. Yep. I don't want to name any names or anything, but I feel like 70% of the country knows who you're talking about. <laughs> I think that Umbridge mm-hmm. is a um, definition of a po- politician who really wouldn't be able to get away in the real world with all the things that um, 
um, she does. Because I know the ministry was corrupted, so they were, you know, they were on her side. But, you know, the things that she was doing, um, namely, I mean, the Muggleborn Registration Committee, I mean, that was huge. I just think that she would never get away with the things she did in the real world. Yeah. yeah. And At she a school was, or in the ministry. And she was the perfect example of a yes man. Mm-hmm. You know, she just followed everything to the T. It's like she was brought up to never question authority. And anything that was laid out is exactly how it has to be done. So the government tells you this, or in this case, the minister is giving her ground rules. You have to follow everything exactly to the T. And I think that's what annoyed so many people reading about her. I, I don't know what, I, I don't know if you'll agree with me on this, Andrew. Um, but just like based off your point of wondering whether or not she would get away with that type of thing, I think there is one place in current society where she would get away with that. And that place is called Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> I'm pretty yes, sure. I, yeah, we can agree with Where yeah. we're all going. <laughs> but anywhere else, you know. We'll all be there together. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I think that wraps up our political discussion. At least for now, I know we have some some more talking points that we could uh, get to in in another episode. But we've talked I feel long like we've exhausted. Today. Yeah, Laura, Elise, and Mike, a great job on uh, coming up with this discussion. By the way, uh, thank you. you well, know, it's it been in the yeah, early... you you could easily spend an entire episode on on one of these things. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely. There's a lot to talk about, and it's a perfect time to discuss politics. All right, so Laura, we'll let go of you for now. You're busy with school, and that's understandable, yes. but we thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for uh, having me. In this time of oh, no politics. <laughs> and we'll talk to you later. All right, I'll see you guys around. All okay. right. Bye. Bye, Bye, Laura. It's time to do something fun now. We're going to do Make the Music Connection. Make the me, 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 me. Oh, sorry. Make the me, 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 me. I actually thought that connection. was the uh, soundbite, Matt. I've gotten oh, okay. feedback that people prefer that I just do it live rather than playing the pre recorded sound effect. So that's good. Make the music connection. I, I forget how I used to do it anyway. Anyway, uh, Matt's got the songs this week. This one is you from ready? Micah. Okay, here's the first one. Okay. the end of the world as we know it i don't know i think that would be a, a really cool song to play after uh, mcgonagall cast that spell where all the uh statues and portraits and everything else in hogwarts comes to life and they go running down but that's not the end of the world no nope. that's that's the beginning the beginning of something new that's good micah that's, yeah, good. that's good all right uh how about uh lisa you next okay okay lisa this one's for you Rock Your Body by Justin Timberlake. Yeah, you know, the first thing that comes to mind connection. is Neville. I see Neville <laughs> after he, like, slays Nagini, and, like, he's all feeling proud of himself, and he's, like, doing some Michael, <laughs> Jaff- Michael Jackson, like, pop and lock moves to this song. 
as he nice. walks away. Moon walks across Voldemort. Yeah, or, or even when he's, he's dancing by himself in Goblet of Fire. Aww. Oh, Neville. That's good. This just seems like a song that I could see like Neville listening to in the in the bathroom while he's getting his hair done or something. Just looking at himself like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, and how about me? Oh, jeez. I love this song. This is I Want It All from the new hit movie High School Musical 3, of course, as everyone knows. I saw Micah get excited as soon as the song started. Playing. Oh yeah, I was actually dancing here. You couldn't see it, um, singing along. To be honest, <laughs> you sound exhilarated. Um, yeah, yeah. If I had to make a connection between this, it would be um, in book seven when uh, Harry and Hermione, well, the trio, is learning about the Horcruxes and they're deciding to go out on a mission and actually go and get them all to leave the burrow and go get them all. So. So that's that's how you play make the music connection. Okay, we're gonna um, now go to this week in MuggleCast history. This is a fun one. Oh, I love this one. This goes back to episode sixty-two, November fifth, two thousand and six, and this was when Joe announced that she had a third title for book seven. And um, we all, this also led into some predictions about uh, when the book would be released. And the predictions are very off. And I don't think I was on this show because you never hear me talking. She said that she has a third title for book seven. We were all there at Radio City Music Hall the second night. Well, some of us were. And uh, she said how um, that morning or that day during the sh- while she was in the shower, she thought of a second title for book seven. And now she has a third one. And she said that it is... Um, a head by a short nose, or perhaps, or perhaps that should be a vowel and two consonants. So, what do you guys think about the whole title stuff? I think she added three letters. I think she's teasing us. Yeah, I, I mean, now there's not just two. Now there's three. She just likes messing around with us. Oh, I, feel, I know. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get to know what the other two titles are. No, it is. It's um. She's what? just added the word the to it. That's two consonants and a vowel. I bet it's something, something, <laughs> and something, and then. Oh, sorry, Harry Potter and something, and then she's added vert into it. I bet that's it. In fact, I will you know eat... That... Actually, no, I won't. No. <laughs> <laughs> you stop right there. Uh, I will eat. <laughs> I love those. I love those. Yeah. Bats. Um, Although, I just think it means that uh, she favors this title above the other two, and that it's just got a few more letters than the other two right. as well. But if she didn't release a title this ha- on Halloween, when do you think we can see it? I mean, Christmas, maybe? When do you think we maybe? will see it? Uh, Chris, I don't no. wait that long. I think maybe like it's, it's like a know, month, something like this. <laughs> well, Guy Fox Day, huh? Yeah, <laughs> but what about it's Guy Fox Day today? today. Maybe, maybe by the end of the night, she'll release the title. I, I doubt maybe it. Christmas. So, what do you think this means for the timing book seven? I still think it's going to be two thousand eight. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, of I course, too. all the way to two thousand eight. Two thousand eight for sure. For sure, two thousand eight. Oh right. So I thought that right. was funny because kind of off there. But what was the other? There was one of the titles was Harry Potter and the Elder Wand. Of course, Deathly Hallows. What was the third one? Did she ever say? I feel like she did. I don't know. 
Fucking. She must have, because like that's a kind of big question. Okay, well we'll wrap up today with uh, chicken soup from the Mugglecast soul. This comes from <laughs> Jessica. Dear Mugglecast, hi, my name is Jessica Hernandez, and I'm 11 years old. This is my first chicken soup, so here goes. MuggleCast has helped cope through my summer. I was visiting my grandma and auntie in Mexico, but my sisters couldn't come, so I felt lonely. Also, I was in a car accident on September 19th, Hermione's birthday. It was pretty serious, but nobody needed to be hospitalized. But ever since then, I can't be in a car without freaking out. So I bring my MP3 player in a car to calm my nerves down. Your podcast helped me through these things. Thanks. Love, Jessica, your number one fan. So thank you, Jessica. We're glad you're okay. Yep. I actually found out that other title. What is it? It was Harry Potter and the Peverell Quest. No. 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 Yeah. Where are you reading that? Um, from J.K. Rowling's uh, live chat. She said wow. the other two considered were Harry Potter and the Elder Wand and Harry Potter and the Peverell Quest. Referring, I guess, oh, I to the brothers, like... right? Yeah. Yeah. What what you I say? Definitely How like can you be Hallows torn more? between those though? The Deathly Hallows sounds so much better. I was, yeah, it really does. I was a real fan of the Elder Wands. I thought that was a really um, just co- sort of like a badass title. I I just thought. Yeah, well, Deathly Hallows only sounds good because that's actually the title that was chosen. If she chose any of the other two, I still think that we would say, "Oh, Deathly Hallows. Why the hell would you use that?" Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I I was never really a fan of this title. I what? don't know. Really? really? It's cool, but I don't know. I, I when I first when I heard she wanted to after I read it, when I heard she wanted to do Elder One, I just thought it was like uh, I don't know. I really liked it. But anyway, um I think that wraps up this very long show for today. Uh we had a great discussion on the election and this is our third show, as I said at the beginning, in eight days, so uh we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um at least with an announcement containing relating to be the part. Um, but let's do remind it. everyone. What? Uh, I was just going to say we'll do another live show when another trailer leaks out. In the next oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whenever a trailer leaks, we're there for you. Okay, well, um, if you would like to send something to the P.O. Box, it's MuggleCast P.O. Box 3151, coming Georgia 30028. If you want to leave a voicemail question, which we'll get back to next week, uh, if you're in the United States, you can dial one two one eight twenty magic. If you're in the United Kingdom, you can dial zero two eight double one four. Sorry, eight one double four zero six double seven. And if you're in Australia, you can dial zero two eight double zero three five double six eight. You can also Skype the username MuggleCast. But just remember, no matter how you wish to call us, keep your message under thirty seconds and eliminate as much background noise as possible, please. Uh, you can also visit MuggleCast.com for a handy feedback form although it's now available at mugglenet.com slash feedback, or just use any one of our first names at staff.mugglenet.com. And uh, don't forget to also visit the MuggleCast website for the community outlets, including the MySpace, Facebook, YouTube, Frapper, Last.fm, the fan listing, the forums at mugglecastfan.net. And also follow us on Twitter, uh, digtheshowatdig.com, and vote for us once a month at Podcast Alley. Alley. Okay, uh, once again, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Mike Tenema. I'm Matthew Britton. And I'm Elisa Moffat. We'll see you next time for episode 163. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Sorry, go back to your 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 history class. I'll I'll go back to sleep. Oh, 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 oh. You know you love it, Matt. You know you love it. You do. Mm-hmm. Uh, 